0: Welcome to the Military Wire with Mike Schindler. This is the podcast where we interview America's most elite men and women who have served this country. We share their stories of overcoming, their proven lessons in leadership, and their journey to find mission and purpose. And today's guest breaks a bit of tradition, guys. No prior military experience with this guest, yet he's worked with the military in helping them achieve tremendous success in recruiting new talent. He's helped individuals achieve personal and professional su- uh, success through his books uh, and through his talks uh, and speaking of books he has written some must reads for anyone pursuing sales anything related to people books like sales eq people love you people buy you objections These are big things of people that uh, if you're going into the sales trade or into the people trade, for that matter, you need to pay attention to his books. He's been featured in Inc. Magazine, Forbes, HuffPost, Entrepreneur Magazine, uh, and he's one of the most sought after and transformative speakers in the world today. Jeb Blunt, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. I'm so glad to be here.
0: Yeah, Jeb, this is awesome. Like I said, I've kind of broken tradition. Uh, you know, usually we have guys that have served this country. You have not, you know, before we went on air, uh, you were talking about how you had to kind of get caught up into the whole military, military dynamic, um, and I love that. So you're going to bring a perspective to the show that we really haven't had before. Um, you've got a new book that hit the market aimed at military recruiters called Fanatical Military Recruiting. Uh, the premise being that military recruiters are facing a new war, uh, not necessarily a war on the battlefront, but a war for talent, and a war that you say must be won. In order to maintain national security, walk us through that. Tell, tell us a little bit about the what drove you to write in this book and why that is such a big issue today.
1: You know, the, the beginning was uh, I wrote a book called "Fanatical Prospecting for Salespeople." That was uh, is has been a, a worldwide bestseller. It's been a hit and it's sold in countries everywhere. It's translated in every different language, and it's primarily built for business to business sales professionals. And I'm on the road all the time speaking, so businesses hire me to come in, speak to their teams, do training, and my office would call me and say, hey, we just got an order for 50 books from a military base. And when they did that, I said, well, they asked me, how much should we charge them? And I said, well, charge them what we charge everybody else, but hold on to the books. I'm going to sign them all before you send them out. So I would go get the books, sign them all, you know, thank the people for their service. I felt t- tremendously honored that the military was buying the books. But the orders kept coming, and there got to be a point where my curiosity got the best of me. So I picked up the phone and called a procurement officer um, in uh, St. Louis and said, why you know, why are you ordering these books? And she connected me with uh, the command sergeant major for that particular uh, recruiting unit, and we had a conversation. And he said, well, yeah, recruiters are reading this all over the place because we've got to do a lot of prospecting, and we like the concepts in the book. And at that point, I, I like really that piqued my interest. And so I got a few more orders in and then I had a few um, recruiters that were coming to our training classes online and I got so involved in it because I recognized that what we were teaching wasn't quite enough. So I'd spent some time individually with these recruiters to help them out. I ended up calling their sergeant major uh, and uh, got on the airplane and went out and spent some time. Um, with uh, with their CSM and learned about recruiting and what was happening in recruiting and realized that the recruiters were, were reading a lot of civilian sales books and they were using it for training because it made sense to them. But there was a lot of that that wasn't translating because military recruiting is just different than uh, business to business sales. So giving quick, easy example, in business to business sales, I'm trying to take somebody's money from them. And in military recruiting, you're trying to give money to people. You're giving them a career, giving them options. You're giving them college education. Uh, you're uh, you're giving them, uh, you know, training in uh, trades that they may not be able to uh, to get anywhere else. So it's a little bit of a different animal when it comes to recruiting and sales. A lot of the competencies cross over, but if you're if you're trying to train recruiters, sales skills, it doesn't always translate. So. After spending some time with uh, some recruiters, doing some training, having people bring me in, uh, I realized that I needed to do something that was different. So I went to my publisher, and I said, it's a really, really small niche. There's probably not a lot of money in this. Uh, I know publishers like to make money, but we should do this because it's the right thing to do. And my publisher, John Wiley & Sons, one of the largest business book publishers in the world, um, immediately said yes, signed up for the project, and and then we spent a two-year... A, a basically a two-year uh, journey to learn military recruiting, break it down, and write this, this book. It's the first in a three-book series to specifically focus on helping military recruiters fill up their recruiting funnel and win this war for talent. Man, you know,
0: this is so interesting because it's it, to your point, Jeb, they, you know, the military, obviously, they, they've got a, frame for, a framework for who they, who they want right? And, and then, you know, sometimes there's bonuses associated with that, you know, to get somebody on board. It could be a very thriving, very fulfilling career um, and, and really learning how to package that. But, but you said something, you said there's a battle to recruit and retain talent, which I found pretty interesting. Uh, and I want to get into a study here in just a moment. But, but what did you find when you started leaning into this, um, understanding that you know what fewer than one percent of our men and women in this country actually serve on active duty, fewer than you know seven percent have actually served this country. Why do you think, based on what you just said, that there is you know there's money on the table, there's a career, there's a livelihood, there's fulfillment. Why is there such a battle to to, to recruit?
1: Well as I you know as I dived into military recruiting and started learning about it and started researching what was happening there there's a there's a what I describe as a perfect storm there's a couple of things going on so so at the macro level we are in a period of time of ultra low unemployment so pretty much everyone who wants a job has a job and along with that we're recruiting young people. So people who are 17, say 17 to 24 years old are the primary group of people that were recruiting into the military. And in today's world, because they have so many options they, between college and, and, and going out and directly jumping into the job market, uh, they've got more options than they've ever had before. Plus they have smartphones, so they can look at all these options pretty easily. And at the same time, There's never been a time in our country's history where top talent has been more in demand. So if you are smart and you're driven and you have the ability to do things that other people can't do, everybody's looking for you. The colleges want you, healthcare wants you, military wants you, sports wants you, everybody wants you. So you have all these options and, and there is an all out war on the streets right now for the most talented people in America. So how does that translate to recruiting? Well, that's what the military wants. The military wants the best and brightest. The, the, you know, we, we, we still carry guns, and we have bombs, and we have, you know, we have uh, tanks, and we have airplanes. And we have all the things that we you know, typically fight a war with. But more and more, today's wars are being fought with brains, not broad. And even in my town of Augusta, Georgia, we have the NSA moving into Fort Gordon. I mean, we have this massive group of people who are all military for the most part, but they're really, really smart people. So and there are all kinds of jobs in the military. But this group of people that we're looking for, it's 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 growing smaller and smaller and smaller and everybody wants them. So, for the military recruiter in this environment, they're not just like battling, you know, because you hear the Marines talk about the Army and the Army talk about the National Guard and the, you know, everybody's fighting the Navy and the Air Force, you know, they only hire the, you know, get the smartest people. I mean, they're all, these, the branches are all fighting with each other. But they're, but, but the, the, the real war is they're fighting with all the other institutions and organizations around the country who are looking for these very bright people. And one of the points I make in the, in my book is that, A career in the military is no longer the the place of last resort. It used to be. There was a place where if you were failing in society, we would send you to the military. But these days, it is a place of upward mobility. People who have military careers live a lifestyle that is far above the average American. Uh, they, they have access to exclusive communities that are all gated called, you know, bases. And, you know, all these bases, because I get to go on bases now. I mean, like, it's like a city of everything that you could possibly want. Um, you have a, a you know pretty much a recession proof job. You get a college education. Most of the people I work with have two, three degrees. It's a really good career. And the only regret that I have at my age, like I'm writing, the, I'm writing this book is like nobody ever talked to me about it. I feel awful that I didn't have an opportunity because I'd like if I could go back knowing everything I know about the military now, I would have I would have gone into the military in one form or the other, because I believe it is such a great career option for um, today's young people. But we got to tell them that story and we've got to get out and see them so that they understand that and they see it as an option.
0: Yeah. So this is interesting because you talk about, you know, the competition for the talent, which you're spot on. And uh, for the record, I just want to say that the Navy is the most superior of all the brands. I just, I just need to put it out there to our listeners. And, and I know my Marine buddies and Army buddies and even, you know, the Coasties are going to give me a hard time. And Air Force, God bless them. But, it, you know, there's a shrinking pool, too. I think there was a study that came out a couple of years ago that talked about that 75% of our youth aren't even qualified for issues related to, you know, physical fitness or having a, uh, you know, prior some form of, of you know, uh, you know some form of jail time or, you know, run in with the law or, you know, opioids, you know, drug related. Are, are you finding that too is putting pressure on our recruiters that, listen, we can't, we got a shrinking base that we can recruit from. There's a lot of people that are trying to get to that base. And honestly, we've got 75% of our youth that don't even qualify because of three or four other reasons that Honestly, probably are in their control. They've chosen not to, uh, and is that part of your message? Is hey, wait a second, if we get the message out here that this could be a phenomenal career for somebody, uh, you just got to get yourself together. Um, did you find that as you were writing your book that you know a lot of our youth don't even qualify because of these other reasons?
1: I think it's I think it's more that we we know that like, like you said, uh, only about twenty five percent of the population qualifies. So and and the because we we've changed the way that we fight wars, that that group of people is gonna continue to shrink. It's not gonna grow. We're not gonna have unless something bad happens and we have to, you know, go back to just bringing anybody in and and, and I don't foresee that happening anytime soon, then the the, the percentage of our population that will qualify for a military career will continue to shrink. So what's changed is it's the, For the military recruiter, they have to get out and find these people. They have to go out and get in front of them. They have to go out and tell the story. They have to be compelling. Now, add to that that most of the military recruits are coming from a handful of states – Um, that means that, you know, up in the Northeast, for example, or out on the coast of California, where you have a more liberal population, where you have um, big cities, those, those cities are not producing as many people as, for example, the rural South produces a lot more people, which means that the people in those locations have less exposure to the military. They don't know people in the military. And one statistic that is, that is really strong statistic that should scare everyone is that, People who have a relative who's been in the military have a much higher, you know, probability of joining the military than people who don't. But because we have fewer bases, we have fewer installations, we have fewer people in the military than ever before. We have the lowest um, active duty force since World War II at the moment. Then we have we have people in those areas that are not as exposed. So the people there are people in New York City right now, for example, that are qualified to be in the military the recruiters have to go find them and they have to go sit in front of them. The purpose of fanatical military recruiting was to say you can't sit around and wait and you can't hang out on Facebook all day long. You gotta go out and talk to people. You gotta go get face to face with them. You've got to be able to tell them the story of why this is a great career and you've got to connect with them emotionally so that they so that they want to join. And one point that I make over and over and over again is that people don't join the military they join you they they enlist with the military recruiter first then they enlist in the military but if the recruiter's not out there having conversations then they're not going to win and one of the things people complain about for example is it's hard to recruit in some of these bigger cities but i know recruiters who right now are crushing mission they're they're winning the war for talent in those big cities because they're they're out there. They're having conversations. They're connecting with young people. They're doing the things that that great military recruiters do and great salespeople do. They go out and have a lot of conversations. So the statistics are not in the military recruiter's favor. The We've got a major divide between civilian and military classes that's impacting recruiting. That is something that's way above my pay grade, probably above your pay grade. That's something that Washington needs to figure out because it's a cultural issue that we've got to get we've got to get sorted out so that we can build a stronger uh, military but in the meantime the the military recruiter on the street has got to go out there and wage hand to hand combat and that means having real conversations with people and sorting through the 75% that won't qualify and finding those 25% that will qualify and showing them why a career in the military can can guarantee a very bright future For them.
0: So, how do they gain access though? I mean, you got there's a a page in your book, it's at like page 204. It's the four
1: four step face
0: to face prospecting framework, which I love. I I think everybody should read that. As a matter of fact, I think everybody should read that regardless if they're going to go into the military or they're a recruiter uh, because it's just good. It's a good reminder of good people skills. But uh, how do they gain access? Jeb, yeah, because you know some schools across America don't even allow access anymore uh, for recruiters to come on. Even though I think they changed the laws in that regard, saying you know you got to gain access, you got to allow them to have access. But there's still this kind of you know, hey, we really don't want the military on our on our high schools. Uh, what, are you finding that they're running into that challenge? Is that still a challenge or not?
1: Well, there's no doubt. the The law says that that the military recruiters are guaranteed access, but the administrators and educators in those schools can through their actions you know create a no-go zone for military recruiters. Now there are plenty of great anecdotes and stories of military recruiters who have faced schools that were shutting them down and then using great people skills built relationships with those schools and gained access. Uh, some of the military recruiters that do really, really well in schools, when you talk to the administrators they and the students even, they think that the recruiter works for the school because the recruiter is volunteering. There, um, they're being engaged. Uh, I tell a story in the book of one recruiter, for example, who every Wednesday goes to a pickup basketball game with a group of teenagers, every he does it every Wednesday. And about half of, of, of his enlistments come from those basketball games. And not always the people that he's playing basketball, but he builds trust, he has conversations with them, and then they introduce the, him to his friends. But there's certainly gonna be those walls that are put up where you have a hard time getting into the school. So in those cases, you have to find other places in the community to reach out and have conversations with young people. One tactic that uh, that I was just on a discussion group and we were talking about uh, a situation where we, we needed to go find people. One tactic is just go to convenience stores and talk to the people that are the clerks or go to McDonald's and talk to the person that's that's you know checking you out. These are young people who have employment and. And are probably looking for something else and you can go get face to face with them. Um, you've got to you've got to talk to every single person you can find everywhere you can find them. And that doesn't happen if you're you know, if you're sitting in your office or you're driving around looking at a windshield, you know, as a recruiter, driving is not an accomplishment. Having a conversation with people is accomplishment. Um, but it also means using the telephone.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. I mean, it's it's changing It's requiring our our military recruiters to get out there. And I think to your point, share the story, tell the story. Um, You know, anybody that wants to join the military, you know, character, aptitude, skill set. I mean, these are some valuable, you know, valuable traits that one would learn in the military. I mean, to your point, when I got in, it was a movie that sold me and that was Top Gun Uh, When that movie came out, I was all over it. And uh, then the the recruiter took me and we played volleyball, just like the movie. And I thought, man, that's going to be my military experience. It was it was crazy. Uh, I mean, but to your point, I mean, he built relationship. It was it was brilliant. I I, want to I want to shift gears. Uh, You've helped countless people achieve personal and professional success. Um, different levels of success. We talk about uh, this on the show a lot. America's greatest asset. I believe that anyone who has served this country uh, is a tremendous asset. They've got you know a skill set, life experiences that they, that they can bring to companies, to corporations, to communities. Um, how can our listeners engage your practices to improve themselves and really get on a pathway to success? Because Jeb, you do so much more than just teaching recruiters how to sell people in the military, you work with leaders. And I think it's important that our audience knows that those who are listening to this podcast can actually take advantage of what you do to help other leaders grow and make impact. So what,
1: what, what are you doing through sales gravy that can help people grow? This it's a great question. So you said one thing that people who have served our country bring a lot to the table. And what I find interesting and it really is interesting to me is how insecure the you know people who are especially you know military members or service members who are just about to either retire or they're ready to to leave the military and move on to the rest of their life how insecure they are about their abilities and and the future that they have of, ahead of them and i've helped Multiple service members just through this process of writing this book because I've met so many people, I've helped them get easily get jobs. I've, I've called up the executives in the companies that I serve and said, "Hey, I've got this great person in logistics, or a person that does this, person that does this," and they don't even hesitate; they just hire them right on the spot. So one thing that you can you can use, especially if you're thinking about, okay, I'm going to move from military in the civilian world. If you if you take a look at what we do uh, from from it, it sells gravy, we, we, we work a lot around human relationships, human influence frameworks, how to build your confidence, uh, how to how to overcome the, the emotional hangups that that you have this insecurity that you have. So you can go out and confidently achieve what 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 you deserve to achieve. You've, you you have the skills, you have the ability. It's all there. Uh, You just have to have a conversation um, with, uh, you know, with an employer and do it confidently. I, I, you know, I was in Brindisi, Italy, and I was at the Air Force Base there, and I was uh, meeting with a group of uh, officers who were uh, about to leave the military. And I had this conversation with them, and I just, it struck me as how insecure they were about who they were. And it was just me sitting there having, telling them, like, you look at the, look at, look at your resume, look at what you've done. You have so much to give, but, it's, but you have to learn how to manage your emotions. And And I've got a book called Cells EQ that I think will be fantastic for this. And it's all about confidence. It's the same thing we teach in FMR. It's all about confidence. You can't control your emotions. You have no control over that. You can only control your response to your emotions. And and, and you know, you, you learned this when you were in the military. I think you know th- this is a big piece of of military training um, is learning how to manage your emotions in stressful combat situations. Uh, but and I'll tell you a quick story. One of the one of the reasons why I wrote this book, the National Military Recruiting, was I was sitting in front of a group of combat veterans who were recruiters. And they were bellyaching to me about how hard it was to reach out and contact 17-year-olds and about you know, why you know, they didn't want to go phone call, why, didn't they to, why they didn't want to go have a conversation. And I looked at them and said, you guys have all been in combat, right? And they all went, yeah. And I said, people have shot at you, right? And they went, yeah. And I said, I said and you weren't afraid to run into, into a hail of bullets? And they went, no, we pretty much got that. I said, so what you're telling me is you're not afraid to get shot at, but you're afraid to make a phone call to a 17 year old, and they all shook their heads in unison and said, "Yes, sir." That's exactly what we feel like, and that's the that's the thing that we face is is the 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 emotional um, you know control that's required to put yourself out there and ask for what you want, meet a recruit, go see a, you know a potential employer, take the next step in your life. That emotional control is the exact same emotional control that was required of you in stressful situations like jumping out of an airplane or having someone shoot at you or, you know, being tossed into the cold ocean in the middle of the night and say, swim to the shore. That emotional control is exactly the same thing. It's just that the military doesn't always teach you how to apply that in situations where there's the potential for rejection. And you have to rise above your insecurity. And I don't, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's that's what I run into when I'm when I'm working with recruiters and I'm trying to help uh, active service members move into the civilian world. It's that it's learning how to control their emotions in that situation where there's a potential for rejection.
0: Yeah, that's so powerful. I think that's human nature, right? Oftentimes, we don't want to put ourselves in an, in in a situation where we're going to get you know a personal rejection. Uh, and and I think your book, I, like I said, I've only made it about three quarters of the way through it. It's a great read, Jeb. It's it, 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 again, it's a great reminder of just how to deal with people, but certainly that, 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 uh, that self-talk too, which I think is so important to what you're addressing. I want to get to the one piece of advice having with you having dealt with folks that are transitioning, getting ready to transition, um, What's that one bit of advice you would give those men and women who are getting ready to transition uh, when it comes to, you know, taking on that next mission? What do you see? What's that one piece?
1: I think that it's you have to believe in yourself. I know that sounds maybe a little bit trite, but you the thing is, is that I think that what I do when I'm when I'm working with someone who's about the transition is is I just facilitate having them walk back through everything they've accomplished, all the things that they've done so that they, they, they look at it through a different set of eyes. I, I don't think that people in the military always see how, how, what great leaders they are and what all they've accomplished and what they, what they, what the abilities they have and how talented they are. We're, I mean, think about it. We're already talking about people who are the top 25 percentile of our entire country, who are in the military, you're already there. And that's before we trained you. That's before you went through all the things that you had to learn in order to be good at, at you know, your first MOS and your ne- next MOS, and your next MOS, before you had to, you know, became a leader, before you had to, you know, to to go through to to different situations and excel at those situations and the military has a very low tolerance for failure. So you're, you were also talking about people who have been winners over and over and over again. So my very yeah. best advice yeah, for honestly, you I think is to great. believe in yourself.
0: Yeah. I love that. Believe in yourself. It's so important. Uh, and I think you're right. You know, sometimes in the military we hide behind our stripes or the bars on our, on our collars uh, and, you know, we get a lot of self, you know, we get a lot of external accolades, et cetera, people saluting, et cetera. And then you get into the civilian sector and, and a lot of that disappears. You're starting over. So it's a new environment. And I think what I love, not what I think, what I know, what I love about what you're doing, Jeff, especially even with this book and some of your other books is that you're helping people regain that sense of belief, that re- that sense of confidence. I think it's, uh, I, I think it's awesome what you're doing. How do people find you, Jeb? How, how can they get in touch with you? How can they learn from you?
1: Well, it's really easy. So, uh, if you go to, if you want to learn more about fanatical military recruiting, you can go to fanaticalrecruiting.com. That's fanaticalrecruiting.com. You can uh, learn more about me at jebblunt.com, J E B B L O U N T.com. My main website is salesgravy.com. So, that's where all of our articles and resources are. Uh, I'm on every social network. I'm typically at Sales Gravy, but you can connect me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter uh, at Sales Gravy. And then uh, I'll leave you with a couple of things. If you listen to the podcast, you got a question. My direct email address is jeb at salesgravy.com S-A-L-E-S-G-R-A-V-Y.com And uh, just send me an email there, jeb at salesgravy.com. I'll be happy to answer any question you have.
0: Uh, Jeb, that's awesome. Hey, I appreciate you being on the show. Uh, I appreciate your take. I I love what you're doing. I love this book, Fanatical Military Recruiting. Jeb, your latest book came out in March. Uh, I recommend this to anybody. Actually, even if you're not a recruiter, you should pick this book up uh, because the tactics in here don't just relate to recruiters. I mean, a lot does. There's some good, solid language in that that, uh, that's military that uh, you guys will understand, but... uh, take from it at its core what this book is really talking about it's a great book jeb appreciate you being on the show thank you